Hola amigos and welcome to What Did You Do? My name is Dee. Me llamo es Charnel and <laughs> this is actually What Did You Do? Uh, episode one of season two. Bum, yes. bum, bum. I don't have the Spanish horn. We don't have the sound. That was the best we could do. It's um, it's still incredible. So it no was very weak, but okay. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. First of all, I I know how to find a key, so don't do that to me. <laughs> and, but we are we are back, and mm-hmm. when we said we would be, look at this. Look at us. Look at us. Look, look, look at it. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Not us. Like, not me. But <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. But we are back, and we are excited to be on time. We're excited to fall in line with all your expectations and whatnot. Thank you so much for listening. It's always nice for to feel like people miss you. Yeah. And yeah, I, so I appreciate that, the love. And everyone, I the one comment that said we were a dead podcast, I was in my head. I was like, no, Charnel wouldn't let us die like that. He goes out on his no. terms. <laughs> exactly. She's like, I thought this podcast was dead. Never. Right? Not unless I kill it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we are back. This is episode one of season two. Mm-hmm. And today we are covering the 2022 Buffalo shooting. That took place May 14th. So this uh, is last year. This is fresh. This was last year, and it was one of the biggest stories. Yeah. What'd you say? No, I, said, I was going to say there was a lot that led up to that last year big event, so we're going to talk about that, but yes, it was one of the biggest stories of last year. It was. Uh, I think there, D and I mentioned off mic, there was a lot of people using it as kind of a little uh, bit of a political football. Right. Um, But it... There's clear racist intentions behind it. There's no way you can go around that. Um, some people will try. But and after is, people used it for their political gain on both sides, no one talked about it anymore, which is a shame. Exactly. Kind of just dissipated and disappeared, and we all moved on. Right. Um, and so we are not, though, because we are people who, who live in reality and live in a society that sees the effects of this kind of dangerous thinking. Um, and so this is... Uh, a mass shooting, so trigger warning, we will describe racism, violence, um, harm, gun I violence. I will say things the... about the shooter. She will. She's not. I'm obviously not. not a fan. I fucking hate him. <laughs> hate him. But also, which I, I looked it up, This, which is it's insane, this is not a, a soapbox, but this was one of 647 mass shootings in the United States in 2022. Which I say, take me back to 2020, you know, you know, sad pandemic, couldn't see your family, but no one killed each other because you guys were all inside. And I love that for the country. Because ever since we were released, it's been absolutely ridiculous. It's always been ghetto outside, but it feels ghettoer. Yeah, we don't need to be outside, clearly. 2020 showed us, because we didn't have the mass shootings we did in 2020. No, I need to be outside. I don't know about everybody else. Oh, yeah, he's an extrovert. I I got cabin fever, yeah. (laughs) Two weeks, I was like, oh, this is nice. I was like, it's nice to reset. I don't don't mind this at all. And then after two weeks, I said, yo, get me out of here. Also, (laughs) at the time, I lived alone. So it wasn't like I had anybody to lean. I was in here by myself, and all my friends were terrified to see each other, so... It was like FaceTime calls and Zoom calls, and I would be like getting coffee at a park with my friends, like sitting across a long bench at a picnic. T- it was weird. I I am an introvert. I, I did have my spouse, but I was enjoying life 
we actually had more problems in the relationship when we back, went back outside because we weren't spending as much time as like when we did when we were inside because a lot of couples broke out because they're like, ah, it's too much time together. But no, we were actually good. It was actually good for our relationship. But I was doing spa days, reading. It was the best time of my life. I'll tell you what, if I was in a relationship during like and it went into COVID, I would have been single coming out because. <laughs> Because people always try to shack up. They'd be like, oh, we should just quarantine together. No, go home no, and stay there. I, I had a good time with my spouse, and then we got out, and then we weren't spending time with each other, and what the shit. No, so. marriage is also ghetto. So, yeah, yeah, true. We, <laughs> <laughs> no, but we'll move know. on, because that's not what this podcast is about. Right. So, <laughs> As we usually so, do. <laughs> we we got to figure our lives out. Like I mentioned before, on May 14, 2022, approximately uh, 2.30 p.m., Buffalo police, they responded to emergency calls of an active shooter um, at Topps Grocery Store on the 1200 block of Jefferson Avenue in Buffalo, New York, if I didn't reiterate that already. Yes. Uh, reports coming spoke of an individual in full body armor and tactical gear opening fire on customers. This person, just ready to go to war was 18 year old Peyton Gendron. Gendron. People have mispronounced it both ways, but I don't. We're not going to give him for, too much space. For, and for my sanity, <laughs> I will be calling him that little boy. That little boy. That little boy. That's what I decided. That's what I landed on. That little boy. <laughs> I don't know if he was that little. He uh, was 18. <laughs> he was a child. Well, he was young, but if you yeah. looked at the photos of him, he was a he was a big boy for a bunch of his, a bit of his life. Not mentally. But when pe- police arrived, they found Gendron coming around the front of the store. Um, and they entered what somewhat of a standoff and initially, uh, Peyton was threatening to turn the gun on himself, but would eventually agree to drop his weapons and the police took him into custody without incident. Surprising. Mm. Not so much. Mm. We, we all have thoughts about how that could have gone other right. ways for other people. Of but... course. At least they didn't give him McDonald's. <laughs> right. Burger King. I know it was Burger King, but it's not you know. Like, Burger King is never good. Well. Like every time I, I like, I'll crave it. And then I'll eat it. I'm like, this wasn't that satisfying. It wasn't yeah. like fast food satisfying. I but... like the little tater cheesy thoughts, but go ahead. Yeah, same, same. I had it as my cheat meal last week, and I did not like the way I felt afterward. Um, but anyway, again, that's not the point. So, <laughs> in the United States, uh, mass shootings have become something of the norm, unfortunately. So, even more heartbreaking is that we aren't really shocked, right, when we discover that perpetrators of these awful crimes are teenagers. Like, we're not shocked anymore. Like, being 18 years old, Mm-mm. like, doing something so violent and destructive and terrifying should be, like, surprised. Like, how could you be full of so much hate at such a young age? Um, How could an 18-year-old get to the point where, like, he's willing to open fire on innocent people while they run errands on a Saturday afternoon? Like, it's right. a it's a huge leap to make unless... Right? Like, unless... Right. There's seeds planted unless there's a lot of internal turmoil and all these things. And we can, we're going to talk about, I think that we have to, um, talk about radicalization and socialization right. between people and how different people move through the world. And I think it's going to be an important part of how we talk about specifically right now in America, how younger white men are being radicalized to have these hard, far right views and there are people who are like, I don't understand how, especially people like Peyton, who for most of high school had a Hispanic or Latino best friend. Yeah. I mean, going back to and, the pandemic times, we saw that radicalization became, there was an uptick because people, right. again, were staying home and a lot of the media and stuff they got was from the internet. So 
you know, you could blame it on the pandemic times too, because we already headed in that direction prior, and it's just it it heightened during the pandemic. So yeah, and we're gonna and we're definitely going to. Up, oh, sorry, we're definitely going to um, talk about how the pandemic played a role in it because there, obviously he was a sophomore junior at the height of the pandemic, so right. it wasn't like he again he's not an, he's not old, so right. <laughs> um, and like this wasn't a case of of Peyton being like a disgruntled employee and thinking that someone had taken his job. Like this black man took my job, or my manager was black and he mistreated me. This is a young man who drove two hundred miles over three and a half hours from his hometown of Conklin, New York, which is like a suburb of Binghamton, to do what he did. Um, he left his home that day with a full plan and the intention of ending lives and not just any life, but specifically black lives. That's what he was looking to. This was, this was planned out. There was Mm -hmm. logistical analysis involved. I mean, he went pretty deep with the planning too. Like he went pretty deep and we'll talk about that as well, but it's kind of insane. Again, like this is not a store that was even close to his home. It wasn't that close. Not even. Yeah. There was research involved. And we'll get to it further on um, in the case. This isn't also, again, we talk about this, but he didn't start, like, start out peddling white supremacist narratives and tropes and acting on it violently. Like, this radicalization doesn't always just take a while. Like, sometimes we think over time people are spoon-fed hate and then they lead up. Sometimes it could be a buildup of whatever else you have going on inside your own life inside your own relationships and then all you have to do is be offered an out mm-hmm. offered a place to put your anger mm-hmm. and you're like this makes sense to me and we're going to get to that um but in this case it was like i said it was a matter of time and opportunity because the pandemic left him right. um he would even say that he like he was at bored at home right when he started watching it wasn't like he was no one was reaching out to him yeah. there was no person recruiting him he was on his own on the internet watching people and said oh I get it now. Right. And there's nothing to get. Um, and you'll figure this out. Cause when you look at Peyton's background, which we were just about to jump into, you'll see that this doesn't make sense. So not too much is known about Peyton because like, as you would imagine, his parents haven't been super forthcoming. Cause if your son had shot and killed 10 people, uh, you wouldn't be willing to share and air out all your dirty laundry either. You'd be wanting to keep a lot of things close to their chest um, and there's a lot of people looking for reasons and explanations as to why he did what he did. And a lot of times when you have kids, teenagers, you look at the parents like, what the hell did you do or not do? What didn't you see? How are people doing these things under your nose and you don't know? Right. Um, and so parents locked it down. I know they've done some FBI interviews and but the media outlets, they've like jumped and hidden from, which, again, makes sense. Um, and so no one's holding them to that. Well, it makes but sense we for do- them and their background. Well, yeah. Too. Because yeah. there's some of these parents who hold the same views that would be talking out. But I think for their background, his specific parents' background, it makes them for sense for them to retreat. Because this wasn't learned directly from them. Which no. racism, it, so much of racism is typically learned behaviors. It wasn't in this case, so... Well, I think, I think that for them, again, this is, we're going to get to it in a bit, but I think that calls, that comes into the line of like socialization. Right. And, but as far as his roots go, um, what we do know is that he comes from a stable home. His parents, Paul and Pamela Gendron, um, they bought their home that they live in now, uh, in 2002, just a few months before, uh, Pamela became pregnant with Peyton. 
Um, in addition, they also have two other sons. Um, Paul and Pamela are described uh, by their neighbors as like well to do, right? They, they do well for themselves. They stay, they keep their noses clean, so to speak. They're polite. They're kind. Um, right now they're both like, they're both civil engineers with the New York Department of Transportation. And if you look at DOT records, um, they make a combined income of about $200,000 a year. And so they're not poor. Right. either right so like it's not out they're not impoverished they're not they could be struggling financially because you people live above their means there could be incredible debt you know all these things but on paper they look fine mm-hmm. right and they're all homeowners so you would assume that at least there's some equity in their home whatever um but they would also be described as god-fearing folks and to just to that point, it's just like I grew up in the same way, right. like there are no violent video games allowed in your house. Nothing that glorified gun violence was allowed at home. Like this is his upbringing. Now, he does live in a rural area like the suburbs of Binghamton are very woodsy. Oh, you've ever been to that part. Like, is it? I want to say it's Western New York, but it kind of is like that weird central Western. Yeah. I visited Binghamton, uh, University of Binghamton, Binghamton University, whatever that college is. It's like, you, it's like New York's UConn. Uh, um, gosh. yeah, it's like their major university. Um, that's not like, you know, the University of Albany or something, but, or NYU, but right. it's like their state school, their, their flagship state school. And I went out there. So it's a, it's really woods. It's beautiful out there, but it's very rural. So people like having, um, guns isn't odd, but for them specifically, glorifying gun violence was a problem. Like they owned guns, but they were very specific about like making sure that they were used for sport or for like defense. It wasn't something to be used as like a weapon of some kind of weird internal war. Right. Um, and if you look at their social media pages, like they illustrate like that idyllic family life. Plenty of holiday photos and like matching pajamas. There's family vacation photos. There's all those sweet little candies you find on most social media, Facebook pages from parents. Um, but we also know that sweet family photos does not a great parent child uh, relationship make. Yeah. So other things we can take away from what Peyton's childhood looked like comes from his postings that we'll see and we'll talk about, you know, on Discord and on other pages. Where he felt like his character, well, at least his characterization of this relationship to his parents and his family, um, was one that I think helped to his radicalization. I think it kind of led to it. Um, and so again, we'll, we'll get into the details later on, but despite like being enrolled at a SUNY school, looking to get a degree in engineering to follow his parents' footsteps, like he didn't feel that close to his parents, even though he was trying to emulate them and make them proud. Right. He was like the shadow kid, right? He was right. kind of, yeah. Was he a like middle kid, though? That I, I believe so. Oh, okay. And so for him, like, he felt unimportant. And he felt that if he didn't do well academically, that he would disappoint his parents. Which is surprising. Because if you, like, they ask all of his classmates, his neighbors, and everyone described him as smart and as, like, academically inclined. So it's incredible that he feels like that if he he's not doing good enough, but that also speaks to the fact that why he's overachieving. Right, that could um, be why he was the smart kid mm-hmm. because he would felt so much pressure from his parents to you know do that. Although I don't know, maybe his parents put that out, maybe they didn't, but he certainly felt it. That was his perspective. Well, because I like even as a even as a like a, a parent myself, like a fresh one. 
you know, I like I don't play around education. My niece knows that. Everyone who knows me knows that. Like I'm educated on paper. Relentlessly you know? like, educated is what you. Want. Unfortunately, <laughs> thank God. I almost dragged myself into another program like this past January, and thank God God blocked that. But- I was going <laughs> say, you said, like, unfortunately, but you are in complete control of that. You do realize, buddy, right? <laughs> sure. Don't, don't try to make this my fault. So, <laughs> but it's one of those things where I, when her grades drop or I notice things and, and I look in the app and I'm like, why are you missing homework? Why are you missing classwork? This doesn't make sense to me. But for me, it's not a matter of being good enough. It's not a measure of her character. It's not a measure of who she is. For me, it's a matter of the fact that, like, I grew up super impoverished until she moved in with me. Like, she was poor, poor, right? And I'm still not rich, obviously. I'm I'm still cash poor. But, like, I'm not impoverished in the way that other people are. And so, like, I want her to be able to live her life well and live financially well. And so that's the pressure I'd put on her, not because I want her to be smart and live up to my expectations, but to give herself opportunities to succeed. So there's different levels of pressure. He feels inadequate. That's the difference, right? Like my niece feels like she's just underperforming, but (laughs) like, but he feels inadequate. And when you have kids um, who don't feel good enough and don't feel tough enough, or or resilient enough to handle rigorous academic work, it becomes a problem. And I think when we we mention these things, this is when I would have to introduce socialization a little bit. And this is the part where it's going to be a little bit inflammatory and somebody might tweet me or DM me and be like, I don't understand how you can come to that conclusion. I researched this. I read about it. I witnessed it. So I have said something before that's gotten me into plenty of many of fights in sociology classes and abnormal psychology classes, whatever, that there is no system ever in existence of the United States of America that has kept white people back simply because they are white. Why ever. You can talk a- about diversity quotas now. You can talk about those things that don't exist because workforces are still majority, like especially well-paid ones are still majority white. You could talk about how leadership and admin positions are still majority white. Like all these things, like your diversity quota arguments don't bother me, but pause, pause, pause. There are people still arguing in the year of our lower 2023 that what you said is incorrect. Yeah. Oh God. Because like there, there are people who are like, I feel like I lost, what is the, the girl who didn't get into university of Texas at Austin? And she's like, Oh, I didn't get in because you know, they wanted yeah. to let the black people in. You don't remember that big news story? I remember that big news story. It was supposed to be bullshit, though. So the investigation happens, and it turns out homegirl's grades were not as good as the black people she was talking about. Exactly. And so, and so, like, but that, but when I talk about socialization, I think that part of it is that there is, there's the false belief in America a lot of times that everything is a meritocracy and everybody's where they are simply because they've earned it. Right. And it's not always true. Completely. And so for people like Peyton, who he's come up, his parents have always been well off. He's out at homes. He's lived in a house ever since he was born, right? He doesn't know anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had access, family vacations, trips. He, you know, he does a lot of things. And so when it comes to feeling inadequate, a lot of times people need to look for reasons why. And if you're socialized to believe that you can do whatever you want and then suddenly you can't, it's got to be somebody's fault. Some force has to be working against you. Now, before we go down it's that slippery slope. It's kind of like slope, the Hitler art school situation. And so it's somebody's fault. And you're absolutely right. There are systems in place. 
This is not me saying that white people don't have it hard. That is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's not hard because they are white. Right. I have plenty of poor white friends. I have plenty of disabled white friends, queer white friends. Um, you know, like people who have that intersectional experience where life is hard because the systems around them weren't created for them to thrive specifically. Right. And, but I will say, Peyton, again, his inadequacy was not, hey, I realize I'm not good enough. The inflammatory thing that I would say in a social class that got me almost into a fight was that you have to understand as a straight, able-bodied Christian or whatever, or Judeo-Christian white man in America, if you can't become that rock star, if you're not that CEO, if you're not that major engineer, if you're not a world shaker or a, a mountain mover, it's not because someone else has stopped you. I think it's just because you're not good enough. Yeah. Like, and you need to just admit that because most of us can say like, oh, I'm in the space that I'm in. I just wasn't the best candidate. I can look at another job and I can try to get that job. I can look at another space and try to be ex- an excellent there or excel there. But it's got to be this overarching. There's some plot against us. People who have social, like financial and political power to to keep us from being great. And it's it, just not true. It is hard for the privilege to understand that they could be privileged and mediocre at the same time. And right. that mediocrity they will take and try to blame it on something else, someone else, something else. But they cannot look inward and say, hey, I am, I am privileged, but I'm just a right. mediocre person. And not everyone is meant to excel. Sorry, that's just a fact. No matter what color shade you are, you're not all meant to excel. People are not all meant to excel. That you have strengths and weaknesses and you can be privileged and mediocre and just sit with that just sit with that that's all you need to do but i understand where you're going with that because he probably couldn't sit with that yeah and it's got to be because again you're watching people around you excel um and you and it's not like he wasn't and that's the thing it's that he was looking for a reason as to why he felt this way without placing the blame internally because sometimes again i have the conversations with myself like damn how come I couldn't do that? And it wasn't because someone stopped me. It was because, like, you know, I didn't put my best foot forward. Yeah. Or I wasn't ready. I didn't prepare enough. Or it's just enough. not and your specific talent. It's not it. And I know where I'm not talented. Right. I know I can't do everything. So I don't try to do everything. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people, again, if you grow up thinking that the world is yours and you can really grow up to be whatever you want to grow up to be, that you can continue, again, to be mediocre. If you can fail up, then these are things. Because when you have... These types of kids, again, who have well-to-do families, a lot of times they do fail, but they get caught, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they get caught by their parents. There's safety nets involved for people who are impoverished, people who are disabled, people who are oppressed, repressed, um, disadvantaged. When they fail, they fail down. Right. If I lose all my money, I'm homeless. I don't have parents to fall back to, right? Like, so there's all these... There's all these spaces where we could we could talk about Peyton and why he's not where he needs to be, um, but we'll get there, and so <laughs> and we will we'll we'll figure that out. But prior to graduation, prior to him trying to go to to be an engineer like his parents, um, that was when things started to shift in his life. Um, you know, as we know, the onset of the pandemic shifted much of how we do everything. Right, education being one of the most visibly different having to isolate and learn online or in these weird hybrid models uh, put so much stress on families and at the same time gave students way too much free time, way too much free time, so much so that they think they still have it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a petty parent or or counselor at all. 
Clearly. <laughs> but for high schoolers that are still developing and trying to find their identity, this time, this left to kind of wander the internet or <laughs> wander the internet or leave, you know, things on their own, it can be really, really dangerous, specifically for kids like Peyton. Um, and it was during his sophomore year in high school about where he would say he was bored at home during COVID and came across these white supremacist videos on the internet. You know, during that time, he say he discovered this information about birth rates of whites dropping around the world. Right. And he saw that because they saw it as a threat to white livelihood and the white existence. I, and this, go ahead. I, I just wish he took that information about the low birth rates and decide to have like 19 kids. Why can't you just be that person? And be like, 19 kids and counting. Why did you need to go the opposite direction? Right. That's all I want to say on that. (laughs) Just just be 19 kids and counting. And like, procreate with everybody. And just leave me alone. Or the the opposite can be true too. Where you can just think critically. Like, I wonder why birth rates for whites are dropping. Is this information correct? Where is it dropping? Because I want people to understand, like, while younger... Like, millennial, Gen Z, white people might not be procreating. White people still make up the majority, especially in, specifically in America, right, are still 70, 60, 60 whatever percent of the population. It's not like there's none of y'all coming around anymore. Like, it's like, right. and so I think that, like, the conversation in his head was, there's someone out to get us therefore there's someone out to get me i promise you minorities don't care about what you guys are doing we're just trying to do our own thing and we didn't want to be here you guys brought us here leave us alone you said minorities <laughs> that's not all of us that's, that's well our, true our people with of slave descent because i'm like some of some of y'all did choose to be here and that's cool like i love america but not in the way that other people do what'd you say my parents are immigrants so i tell my mom why here all the time but i mean <laughs> you sold us a dream as well so Right. Don't get me started on the American dream. Yeah. <laughs> right. The American dream isn't for everybody. It's not equitable. And so many papers on that. Right. But that's something else. Like, in this economy, who's having kids anyways? Like, why didn't you think about that? Tons of people. Thinking of critically. <laughs> Shoot. You could have gone so many different directions. But, of course, he's 18. So, he's going to get spoon-fed information and he's going to eat it up. Well, that's the thing. That he is going to absorb this information. And, again, as somebody who feels inadequate... Somebody who already feels disadvantaged or at a disadvantage to know that there's this weird big thing happening that's going to put them at a bigger disadvantage. And so it's not just the, just the birth rate thing. So he started falling into this way of thinking because of something called the great replacement theory. And he was finding these really right wing or far right wing YouTubers that centered their belief systems on this. And if you don't know what it is, right, the modern great replacement theory has roots in France. It was a French author. I'm going to, I can't pronounce his name in French. It's like Renaud Camus. It's like, you know, Renaud French, you Camus. It uh, it's the last name that you're, gets me. You're still saying it's not Renaud. It's like Renaud. That you got to do with the French accent. <laughs> Too much. Go ahead. He is a, he's a person whose concern came from like an increase of Middle Eastern Muslims in his, in his country, in European countries specifically, right? Um, and when it found its ways overseas across the pond to the United States, it began to weave into this white genocide ideology that's already been cooking here since like the sixties, right? The minute black people got rights, everyone's like, oh, they're out to get rid of all the white people. It's not true because again, black folks don't have social, financial, political power to overpower anybody. Um, we're not even the biggest minority. Like it's nope. 
to add context to this, right, the white genocide theory um, is that there is this scheme. Again, now, people who are racist understand that people of color don't have the power to revolt in a way that will see them subjugated. They know this because they're, they're smart enough to recognize things, right? But that doesn't help their narrative. So who else could have power in their eyes? White men or white women, white rich people. And so they, they've wrongly obviously blamed Jewish Americans to be behind this shadowy plot, um, to exterminate the white race through substitution or like diffusion, right? Mm-hmm. So they're promoting interracial relationships, miscegenation, which is people humping and hunching who are not from the same race and having children, um, widely legalizing and promoting abortion, you know, which, even when it's used to like attack black parenthood, but somehow this is an effective method of stopping white birth. Cause right. Black people abort more babies than anybody else. So why are you upset? Right. It's not for but don't you. Get me started. Again, this is another podcast, another podcast, but it intersects. Right. This is the thinking. So any affinity for the concept of multiculturalism, culturalism or racial integration is viewed as a direct threat on white lives. And the biggest narrative that we've seen in the last seven years or so in America is that there's replacing white political power by encouraging immigration from non-majority white countries. Like, immigration, is that they're pushing this so that way they can replace Republican voters, who they, which is a euphemistic term for white voters. Like, let's be realistic. Right. These are, these are things that are going through their mind. People feel like they're under attack. And if you're indoctrinated enough, and again, if you feel like you, like there's, oh, there's the reason why I'm still poor is because these people are the reason why. There's a reason why I can't get a good job because they're getting the good jobs. There's someone working to replace me. It's always so phenomenal to me that they don't see their own privilege. And yet they're still threatened by black excellence. Despite all the excellence that we've done, you're still running the country. I don't, I just don't get the thinking. Black excellence is a, a unique ideal. And so I, what, what it really becomes is I don't think they see us as excelling. Like these really, these people who, who even in implicitly, right, don't recognize that they're being racist jerks, like don't see us as excelling. They see us as surviving somehow. Like they don't, the, their thought processes around black people are, and the, the ways they, the weight they hold is so low. Like, they don't, the expectations aren't even there. Like when people, like the microaggressions we face every day where people are like, you know, you're so articulate or you're so right. well-spoken. Oh, do you play basketball? Um, or the other, like the other day I was, I was, I was buying up this grocery store cause I'm on a new diet and it was the beginning of the month. Right. And so I'm, I'm putting things in my cart and I heard this, this couple make a comment when I'm at the self checkout about EBT and they were looking at my cart and I'm looking at their car, and I'm like, there's a lot of frozen foods. It's because it's cheaper. Like, <laughs> like, like, don't, don't do that. And the lady at the, the little lady that runs like the middle of the self checkout was like, oh, is everything okay? And I'm like, nah. And I just looked at them. And I'm like, don't let this shirt and tie fool you, bro. I get down. So there is. But it's just like their, their expectation is that. Oh, look at me. I am getting, I'm on government assistance. Like I'm dressed well. Like I am, like I'm in here and not once did you see me pull out a silver card of anything. Right. My card has a North Carolina logo on it. <laughs> this isn't like EBT. You're saying it because I'm black. Like it's not because you think I'm poor. It's because you think, I, you think black people are poor, even though you are too. Right. 
it's the way that they the way they hold space for black identity is just so skewed and the problem with the the way that the great replacement theory will enact or find itself rooted in people like this is that it does brew things it does brew mm-hmm. hatred it brews right. but the the most dangerous thing that it brews with racists is fear because like racist rage there's almost nothing like it right and so true. because there's a right they it's just like we talked about in other cases where um like a killer would if they were killing their parents and their parents had been abusing them how it feels like overkill right, right? where people will bash their heads in with a hammer and like why are you doing this it's because their parents have felt like such a monster that they felt like they needed to do something like extreme to overpower them. And so these people have made the, made monsters of people of color, of queer people, um, of any kind of person who should be a minority who finds themselves in positions of authority. If women do it, like there's just, it's a problem. And what we see here is that it blows into things like the 2011 Oslo shooting. I don't know if anyone remembers that. Um, but I Anders Brevik, <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it, there's been a lot that's happened in the last 12 years that people would forget. Um, but he was an extreme Islamophobe, right? And he inspired and motivated, he was motivated and inspired by this theory. And he placed a car bomb in front of a government building. He killed eight people, injured like 200 others. But when we're talking about the other part of this is that he went to this island where there's like a summer camp and like over 600 kids go there every summer. And he just opened fire at a summer camp. He killed 69 people, 55 were teenagers, right? And all the white supremacist groups were mad at him because, like, bro, you killed white kids. What are you doing? It wasn't just like you were killing, like, right? It was, like, this rage where it's just indiscriminate violence because I'm so mad at the world. But not just mad. I want to inspire other people to be mad. And he did, right? The 2019 Christchurch shooting um, in New Zealand where uh, Brenton Tarrant killed 51 people and live-streamed it. He went to a mosque in an Islamic center and killed people while they were worshiping. Overall, he killed 51 people. And he would cite Anders Brevik, the man I just mentioned, and Dylan Roof, you know, the racist murderer that in 2015 killed nine people in church while they worshiped, as his inspirations. Like, these aren't things that are in a vacuum. These are things that happen. And so when we talk about how prevalent it is, like these racist and toxic thoughts and how they bleed through things and how they move and how they slowly infect and pervade everything, it's true. Even the the El Paso shooting in uh, 2019, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. It was like something, Patrick something. But he went to a Walmart with the intention of killing Mexicans. He said it when he got caught. He waved his Miranda rights to confess that and say, yeah, I went in to kill Mexicans. It's just like, so scary how influential one person could be to incite so much violence. Like, you know, they commonly use the word sheep for, like, liberals, right? Or people with liberal thinking. But, like, what do you consider yourself when you're so easily influenced by one other person? That's literally scaring you about a situation that doesn't exist. But that's the thing. People have convinced themselves and people who hold these ideologies have convinced themselves that they are hip to some secret higher like education and knowledge than other people. 
And so because nobody else, and that's the best way um, for people to be convinced that they're smarter than everybody else. We talk about Kyrie Irving, right? Is that you have to believe that what you know, everyone else is turning away because they've been brainwashed. You just don't, you've, you've drank the Kool-Aid. You don't understand. You don't know. And it's like, you, you, ref- you refuse to see the truth because the media has blinded you. Like, or you, you don't get it because liberals own academia. No. Liberals don't own academia. It's impossible to, it, it should be impossible for you to go to school and learn how to do research and learn how, what peer reviewed is to know what scholarly articles are, to know how to do research in the proper way and throw away bad, um, references and, and bad sources and be able to, you know, critique them and then come out with these ideas. So it's not that we are brainwashed or that we, the liberal media and liberal arts colleges have taken things away from us. It's that, like, I've learned how to critique things and analyze in a critical way and do away with what is not factually true. Although and so for the these idea people, of racism is the old, one of the oldest ideas ever, and it's nothing new. And it's, it's not based in science whatsoever. You can't... No. I mean, they've tried to find ways. If you want, if you read the book, um, post slavery, was it post slavery? Why can't I think? Post traumatic slave syndrome. There we go. I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> like she talks about how racist tropes were counted and measured and put in a book so it could be pseudoscience. Like back in the day, black people, um, they felt less pain, right? And they required less sleep. And why would you need to believe More that because you were mass, working them, et cetera, et cetera. right? You needed to believe that they were they could work harder, that you can keep pushing them to the point of death and exhaustion. You had to believe that when you punish them, they didn't feel it. Like these are tropes that bleed into today. And so when we talk about Peyton and we look at these killers in these mass murders that that he's idolized, he was viewing them as heroes. And his already heightened feelings of paranoia, which we're gonna get to, around his his bodily health and all that. Um, his mortality, like, really was cataclysmic. Um, and so, like, prior, you know, prior to the start of COVID, we talked about this. His family, his friends, his high school classmates always said he was socially awkward. He was a little off, but he was always one of the smart kids, you know, and he clearly wasn't the same person when he got back from COVID. He would be wearing full on hazmat suits to school, like boots and all and respirator masks to family functions. Because he was that paranoid about COVID, but not just because it was COVID, right? Like, we have to recognize what this kid is thinking now. That it's not just COVID, it's because there's the the theory, right? This is the, the, well, the racist, the China flu, all these things. Right. People were attacking him. Right. And so he wanted to be protected from that and insulated from that. Um, and so these things started trending in you know, the wrong direction. He started having a more, a deeper fascination in guns. He got a, he got a shotgun for his 16th birthday. Why? And that's normal. Guys do this? Yeah, it's normal, but I hate that it's so normalized. Right. Again, in rural areas, there's like, there's plenty of people who own guns who don't kill massive amounts of people. But, you know, rural, rural populations, it's more, it's more normalized to buy your teenager a gun. Like, would I buy my niece a gun at 16? Absolutely not. She falls asleep with candles lit. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think if your brain isn't fully developed, maybe you shouldn't have. A war. But at the same time, we also send 18-year-olds into war. So you know what? You know what? It's just wee stuff. 
I hate the country. Yeah, I don't send nobody nowhere. I mean, it's up to me. Go find a trade. You don't need anybody to pay for your college education. (laughs) But you're, but you're absolutely right. You're not fully developed, and that's the other part of this conversation is that we have to understand that teenagers, specifically that really weird time between fourteen and sixteen. The biggest part of a teenager's brain that is developed right now is that people-pleasing center, right? Where they want people to like them. They want people to idolize them. They want people to need them, to look up to them, yeah. to celebrate them, to, to follow them. Like, there's there's a need for people to enjoy you. And there's also a need to find an identity. Right. And the other scientific part of this is that synapses are are dying, right, in your brain. As you get older, and only the most important things to you and how you move through life are going to be what remains. And so for him, as he's gone through this time, his brain has been full of this this ideological nonsense. And so for him, these are things that are holding true, that are building and growing roots in his brain, and it becomes harder to shake. But what's really concerning about Peyton and this this should have been a red flag, and it would have been, is that at the end of his senior year in high school, I think that everyone goes through the what are your plans after graduation kind of assemblies or projects you have to do. Yeah, usually it's like a yearbook project. Right. Um, And when they asked him, he gave a super disturbing answer. Um, He said that he wanted to commit a murder-suicide, right? Implying also he wanted to shoot up his high school. And he followed up saying it was a joke. But school staff, you know, responsibly still called the state police <laughs> to investigate. Um, there's been too many school shootings for you to take that. Like anybody in my school who mentions a gun or I'm going to shoot, like, guess what, guys? Now we got to call the cops and everything's got to get locked down. But they called the state police to investigate him and question him. And he was subjected to a full mental evaluation. But because he was not involuntarily held, there's no reason for that to be written up and documented and submitted to police databases or state databases, national databases for like reasons why he would not be able to own a gun so soon. And so at least legally and purchase one himself specifically, you can be gifted guns, even though it's not legal to in a lot of States, not in Connecticut. You can't do that out loud is give guns to underage kids. Um, but like, this is something that should have flagged something. This is something that should have raised somebody's eyebrows and raised the ears of his parents. And it didn't. And you're going to see how his parents saw things happening, but never jumped at the opportunity to get him help or dig deeper. Cause what you won't do in my house is do wild stuff. Like even now I hear my niece behind me, she should be in bed. It's 10 17. So, <laughs> <laughs> I hear her on the phone and the phone goes off at 10. So me and her are about to have a conversation. But like there's, but you get what I'm <laughs> saying. There's nothing that should happen in your house, yeah. especially if you're concerned about your son, which they've said that he, they were. And so now we're at the lead up, right? To where, to where Peyton is starting to escalate in his thinking and his planning of things. And so we have a lot about this lead up from his own discord posts. He started using discord kind of like a journal or a diary where he would update his posts thinking about how he feels. Um, and again, no one was looking his way. Like again, New York has those red flag laws where if this something that would have been submitted, somebody would have looked into him. He would have, he wouldn't have been able to access things at all. 
Um, but he started um, to frequent some gun and ammo stores asking questions about different types of weapons, even if he didn't purchase them right away. Um, and in his own words, this is verbatim from a post. He says, I went to many stores after my dermatology appointment today. I went to McLean's and finger fucked some of his guns and had a New York safe AR with detachable magazines for eleven eleven hundred and fifty dollars and a Yugoslavian SKS for seven hundred seventy five. Then I went to vintage firearms and bought two boxes, of some old 12 gauge ammo priced at 50 shells for 20. Doesn't have much in the sense of fun things that could cause a lot of damage in short periods of time. But then I went to Pennsylvania Guns and Ammo and checked them out. It has a nice New York Safe Diamondback Tactical AR-15. So, like, this guy is now looking at guns. I mean, you're right. And that post alone the fact he says can This, like, doesn't look like it can do a lot of damage in a short period of time. A lot of damage in Why is that important to you? Like, and this is not something that people couldn't see, right? His Discord posts were, he had a community there he had built. That people were reading these things. And he would end up purchasing like a shotgun, a handgun, and a Bushmaster XM-15, which is an AR-15 style rifle, um, that he would later like modify. He would go into his the garage and use his father's like drills and whatever to, to modify it so it can hold larger magazines. And now we talked about how there was reconnaissance, there was research done, this was planned out. And so while he was doing all of this, he was trying to figure out where he should attack. And what he did literally was Google, like places with the highest populations or population density of black people. And what he found was one of those zip codes landed right in the middle of Buffalo or East Buffalo, right? Where the zip code where top supermarket sits, 78% of the residents are black or African-American. And he had had plans. He was going to attack a school or a church initially, but ultimately chose top supermarket. Why? Because of the high number of people that come in and out of a supermarket. If you should shoot up a school or a church, there's a set number of people that are in there. And then you've got to, if you're going to on a rampage, you've got to go and you've got to leave or you've got to make it out alive. Right. Yeah. But he specifically Googled when Mm -hmm. it was busiest. Um, he would drive there and he would like, what was amazing to me is that he went to the point where he was like in and out of this grocery store to the point where the security guard was asking him why he was in and out of this grocery store. And he mapped out the place. Like I saw this map, like he mapped out drawing. the grocery store. <laughs> like, i'm not here to judge anybody <laughs> talk like, about I'm mediocrity anybody's art skills because i'm nobody's picasso I or am. whatever i don't get but you're right judging. and so we got a little ahead but like march 8th he did drive to buffalo right and it's he went in his discord post and said that he went three times during that day right he went to tw- at 12 p.m 2 p.m and 4 p.m he wrote about the activity in the store each time he went in noting how many black and white people were in there um, again, and like D said, drew a map. And then, yeah. right, during his, his last visit in there, he got approached by a security guard, specifically a black security guard. And, you know, he asked what was going on. And he said that he was collecting consensus data. But on March 10th, two days later, he posted on Discord that I'm going to have to kill that security guard at tops. I hope he doesn't kill me or even hurt me. He knows what he's going to do, and now he's also mapping out the threats to his plan. Right. 
And so he also wrote about how he had planned to actually attack the store March 15th, but there was a lot of delays between like building things up, his weapons, um, all these things, um, getting out and having to quit his job because he was working at a supermarket too. Like, so there's all these things that were happening. He was in school still. Like, oh, like he, like there was a lot of things that he was trying to live two lives and it became overwhelming. But just like with most of the killers we've covered, there are clear warning signs that violence is escalating. And we have a moment yep. right here where we could have had something happen and it didn't. Like one of those clear signs is anybody who harms or kills small animals. We see it mm-hmm. so frequently. And we would see this happen. In a post that he he posted, I believe it was March 25th. It was only like 10 days after, 15 days after he was in Buffalo. He wrote, when I came home at 1030, I was eating pizza bites when I heard my cat scream from the garage. I quickly entered and this gray cat was attacking her. So I spent the next hour and a half chasing the cat around the garage and stabbing it with my knife. Mm -hmm. An hour and a half. He then described in detail like what happened. Again, glorifying an experience, another like worrisome sign is it bled from the mouth at about 11 and at about 11:45 was able to grab the cat's tail and wind up and smack the cat's head against the con- the concrete floor right he's like i did it a few times and when it went limp i grabbed the hatchet and swung at its neck 20 times until the head came off then he says honestly right now i don't feel anything about killing that cat i thought i would be in pain but i literally just feel blank so now not only has he killed a living thing and feel nothing about it, he now knows he can do this without feeling bad because he's decided the cat was worth less than him. So what else has he decided or who else has he decided did that worse, uh, is worth less than him? His mom response was wild <laughs> as well. I mean, it speaks to the parents though. His mom was like, give him a box just to bury the cat. I would be like, why are you murdering right. this cat? And like, like, granted, it's attacking your attack hat, but like, it speaks to the parents now who haven't said much either. Like, this is probably your time where you could have said something, and you're I still think, not saying I think anything. The other part with his parents, too, was like, if you talk to his cousins and like the people they, that they interviewed, it was also like, it was weird for them to talk to him. He had this in his head that they didn't like him and that. You know, it was it was an estranged relationship, but to them, like he was the one doing the separating, and so like when he comes to you, and the one time, he, like the time he's really excited to tell you something, he's telling you about how he killed a cat, and your response is to give him a box to bury it. Yeah, I I don't care how weird my kid is. I'll be damned if I can't speak to my kid and put them in their place. I'll be damned. I created you. Oh. I'm going to say what I need to say. If you're acting weird, you're going to know about Again, it. Clear, clear escalation. We're here now. Um, he's given himself permission to kill. He knows that I don't feel bad because these people aren't worth as much as I am. And again, the justification for killing that cat was that it was attacking his cat. And the justification for a lot of the violence that we see, racially motivated violence, is that these people are a threat to me. And so he has made up in his mind what he is going to do. And in his manifesto, it's 180 pages and D read it. I'm not going to get into it yet. Um, because I'm, I'm not built like that to read too deep. I did. And it was, it made me mad. But one of his entries, um, is 
what does it say? We must not be in a chaotic life or death civil war at a time when our rival nations are at their peak of dominance. The risk is too great and we attack as soon as possible. Right? It's a war in his head. We are, there's a struggle of life and death. And he said, we shouldn't be in this with each other. We should be focusing on who the enemy is. And Peyton did. He decided who the enemy was. And on May 13th, he arrived in Buffalo to case the store one last time. And he was he was dressed in the same camo gear that he would wear the next day. But however, the people that saw him, they thought that he, well, with the context we know now, that he was like just pretending to be a panhandler. Now, Tops has a specific no panhandling policy, right? So a store manager would eventually come out and say, hey, you got to get out of here. And he did. He didn't argue at all. He just bounced, right? However, the next afternoon at around 2.30, he would return to the store with killing on his mind. And he wore a tactical style helmet, camouflage clothing, body armor, and a GoPro video camera that he was using to live stream the attack on Switch. I believe he started the live stream 30 minutes before the attack. And he was carrying that loaded Bushmaster rifle and multiple loaded magazines. Now, I want to pull off a little bit and just mention about how many of these killings that have happened that have been live streamed, right? With the intention of inspiring or motivating other racists and crazy and crazy folks to jump on the bandwagon. Look what I did. Look what I did for us. This too can be you. Because they recognize that there aren't a lot of people who are willing to do that. And so they think that if I inspire one person to kill 50 people, then another person inspires them to kill 70 people, that this is the progression of our, of our, of our war. And eventually we can eliminate the threat. Like, I believe the guy who shot up the Walmart in El Paso was trying to eliminate, like, the Hispanic voting block. Right? Because Texas, surprisingly, is not majority white. I didn't know this. Like, Texas is majority Latino. And, right, I'm like, what? But, like, again, trying to remove such a huge part of a voting block so that they would not have power to help decide things that affect their lives because their lives don't matter and they want to be able to have control. And so this live streaming speaks so much to just kind of how they were trying to inspire the propaganda they tried to build and the people who would be looking for that information. People, I'm sure people downloaded that Twitch stream. People were screen recording. You know, it's it's still out there somewhere. It is definitely out there somewhere. It is. Uh, But there, I mean, there's video, there's news video, a live stream video of people in their phones because he was... Well, we'll get to it, but like what he was doing wasn't something that was hidden behind a big steel wall. It was public, right? So after parking and exiting his vehicle, uh, Payton would then walk up and shoot and kill three black people immediately in the top's parking lot. And then he shot another one who was trying to escape, right? He then fired a few shots through the front window of the store. And once he walked in, immediately shot and killed two more black people. Now, a lot of these shots, if you look back through news reports and 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 uh, autopsy reports, these are very close range shots. They weren't from far away. He wasn't shooting down aisles. He was walking up to people. He wasn't so disconnected from this. He he was up close and personal, and shooting people in the head, um, in the chest. Like it's not again. He was committed to this, um. And then Gendron runs into that same security guard, 
right? Aaron Salter, and he exchanged gunfire with him. And he shoots him. I'm um, sorry. Um, Salter tries to shoot him. Um, and he can't pierce his body armor. So then Peyton turns, aims, and shoots and kills Aaron Salter. And after he killed him, he turned his gun at a white employee. And like, yeah, I guess he had shot him at the in the leg while he was trying to kill black people in the first rung and didn't shoot him, but apologized to him. Saying, I'm sorry for shooting you in the leg. Like, he, he knows what he's... He yeah, he's not he in this crazed stuff. rage. He's not having this weird out-of-body experience. He's still, in this moment, being intentional and selective about what he's doing. This is what hate looks like. And at some point, um, he had also shot a few... I think another employee, another white employee in the pharmacy. And then he walks down to the checkout lane. He kills another black person. And then he starts walking through the aisles and kills another three people. Again, just firing. And at the same time, you have to imagine the scene. We talked about people recording on their phones. Um, I suggest you don't go looking for phone videos because some of them are still in like dark areas like Reddit where things aren't blurred out. And there's very clearly people who are either past or close to passing. Um, there's blood. Like it's, it's not a good, it's not a good look. Um, and so this is things that people were filming on their phone. They were just dead people in the parking lot. They were just dead people in the store. People were filming because they thought they were these were their last moments. People calling home. People hearing gunshots outside the store who were pulling up just to come grocery shopping. It's a madhouse. And people are terrified. People are hiding. People are climbing things, running out underneath their cars. So this is a rampage. And it is fueled by nothing but nonsense and disinformation. But this is what radicalization looks like. This is what it looks like to want to burn the world down to prove a point, even if it's moot. And eventually, Peyton would go to the front of the store where he right away was met with officers of the police department. So now, I don't usually hype up police, right? Copaganda. The only copaganda I subscribe to is SVU. Um, but, <laughs> however, right, Buffalo Police responded immediately like it wasn't like they took forever they didn't show up they didn't wait to to encounter him like when they showed up he was coming out like they were ready to go in right and so again initially he was defiant um he threatened to turn the gun on himself like i said um but he did end up being taken into custody without incident without hassle without argument and that is the end of that rampage but again the steps we take to get here Right. And there were a lot of steps. I mean, to the point where, you know, I, like I said, I read some of his manifesto. And, I mean, he had planned to get out of there by 4.04 right. p.m. That's how precise he planned. Um, We're going to talk about the victims a little bit. But, like, it's just amazing to me how he, just going over how he planned everything down to the last little thing. This was, and to, you know, we talked about the close range. Like, this was something he wanted notoriety for. He wanted attention for. He wanted people to know it was him. There was no hiding behind a mask. There was none of that with this no, child. He wanted. Like, he he wanted people to know. And, you know, we're going to talk about how he, 
I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about, let's talk about the victims first, and then we could talk about the trial and what's right. going on now, because there is something linked to his manifesto that is happening now, and I'm just fascinated by that part, too, to but go ahead with the victims. Take a few steps back, is to recognize that his rampage wasn't supposed to end at the store. Like, he had intentions no. of driving down the street and just shooting at black yep. people. So, mm-hmm. it's, it is a wild ride he took us on. But, yes. when we talk about the victims, who he gunned down. We talked about uh, Aaron Salter, who was the, the security guard that he killed. Aaron Salter was, before he was a security guard, he was there for about four years. He was a 30-year veteran of the Buffalo Police Department. Right? Which I found interesting because he did not want to kill any police. But I don't know if he specifically said he would kill a black police officer. But he said in his manifesto he did not so want I'm to kill So I'm going to go down officers. the list of the 13 people who lost their lives to census violence. Um, they range in age from 20 to 86. And I don't, I don't want to have to say their age, all of them. But I think I should. Because um, it's important that when we talk about these things that victims are the ones who realize like these are the people that have lost and each one of these are connected to communities, families and networks that are now grieving and still grieving and still reeling from holes that have been left in their life because someone, you know, decided to take their loved one away because they hate the way people look. And so there's Roberta, uh, Drury, who's 32, Margus, uh, Morrison, 52, Andre McAneil, 53. Aaron Salter, who told you he's 55. Geraldine Talley, 62. Celestine, Celestine, um, Cheney, 65. Cheney, Cheney. you got it. Hayward Patterson, 67. <laughs> Catherine Massey, 72. Pearl Young, 77. Ruth Whitfield, 86. And if I believe properly, Ruth was the one, um, who had just left a nursing home visiting her husband and went grocery shopping on the way home. Right. People who were just living their lives, man. Um, Zaire Goodman, he was 20. Um, he was shot, but he survived. Um, we got Jennifer Warrington, who's 50. She was shot and survived and Christopher Braden, 55. So I know ultimately that there was like almost $3 million in funding for these families. Um, that was raised, I believe it was through GoFundMe and other fundraisers. I think then the governor said it was like three, two point something, almost $3 million. Um, but money doesn't replace right. people. Nope. He's currently behind bars and he did plead guilty. And I find it funny that he pled guilty. Not funny, but he literally said, like when I say this guy mapped it out to the side, he said that if he gets killed, that would be ashamed. He didn't want to get killed on the scene. He said that in his manifesto. If he goes to jail, he wanted to plead guilty and sit out his days to see what kind of influence his shooting plays out. Jeez. Yeah, yes! He wanted to sit in jail to see what kind of... And when I tell you, he's the, the expectation was to influence other people and for him to see... And he's like, well, either two things will happen. I'll plead guilty and see what kind of influence that would play out. And then if other people do the uprising, they'll get me out of jail. But if I fail, I can sit in jail and die. That was what his thinking was. Like, either like, either way. <laughs> that was it. Like, he thinks that he was going to perform so well and influence so many people that they were going to get him out of jail. And he would be, like, memorialized. But again, we talk 
this is what the yeah, kid wrote. Talk about the the self importance, and again, the- when I when I mention socialization, this is what I mean that there's there's yeah. a belief. It doesn't matter, and it doesn't have to be. This is not specific to white people, right? This is specific to people who who believe they can, Everybody. right? And everyone wants to believe that they're a hero in their own story, and. Very few of us become so narcissistic that we don't realize that we don't have to win all the time and be the main character all the time. But for people like Peyton, it's true. Like the the hubris, the self-importance, the pride, the self-centeredness. The lack of self-awareness. Not even lack of self-awareness. Like he was going to be Don't get me wrong. There are people inspired by this, which is why it's terrifying. Is that it doesn't take much. Like, if you pathetic. look at all the shootings that have happened specifically based on hate crimes, um, when you think about Pulse Nightclub, again, when you think about Dylan Roof, when you think about all the things that have happened, are people who have been motivated just because they think they're, they've are they come up with some new way of dealing with a problem, but because they've seen it happen before, and they think they can be the one to make change. Again, the self-importance. I'm going to show everybody that I am capable because these people aren't better and stronger than us, and and it is terrifying to think that there are people who refuse to condemn these things, people who will make excuses for people who think like this. And, you know, like there are people who sit down and think, well, for me, I don't, I'm not that extreme, but I do believe that, you know, people bring things on themselves. Or I do believe that people can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I do believe that. But those are things that lead to those more dangerous ways of thinking without th- being able to think logically and critically we fall into the into the danger zone of being sucked into these dark black holes like this where there's no coming out. And don't get me wrong. Some of us are problem solvers and some of us, again, are logically sound and those things aren't going to happen. But for the, those of us who are sunk so deep and feeling inadequate, who feel like they're not good enough, who feel like they can't make it and they need a boogeyman, they will find one. Because I'll talk about racism holding me back all day, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to try. <laughs> Right. Racism then, you know, like racism tried to maybe stop me from going to college. I'll tell you that. I could tell you stories about my, you know, high school counselor, but right. I did. And I graduated. Instead of going out and deciding, oh, I'm going to shoot up everybody that looks like an old white lady counselor that talked bad to me, I just did what I was going to do. We've been taught you know? that despite challenges, we can survive. We can make changes. We can do things that that fulfill us and move us and position us for for greatness and i think we've had examples laid before us that despite all these things like Maya angelou still i rise and that comes from a place of not having the strive for the, the want for something to own something to be someone but when you feel like someone is taking something for a lot of black folks coming into the world and walking through these systems you feel like things are being kept from you like, it's not that you can't get there, it's that the goalpost is moving, right? But for people like Peyton, it feels like I have all these things. And the minute this, these people are sharing space and time and energy and jobs and education with me, that I no longer have the advantage that I did. But I'm not, again, I'm not self-aware enough to recognize that I had an advantage, so I'm going to say they're taking my things. Again, it is a, a wonky, wacky place to reside. Um, I encourage all parents no matter what race, gender, whatever nationality, to check on your kids. For real. 
even if your kids are adults, you still got a responsibility to make sure. These even if your your okay. relationship with your kids is weird, like your kids should trust you enough to be able to share things with you, and know that it's not going to be met with guilt or shame. Because I think that is a huge piece of this. As a counselor, there needs to be a consistency and a respect for kids' livelihood and humanity and personhood. <sighs> but that is. That is Peyton Gendron. Gendron. I'm going to get it right at one point. That is that little boy over there. Who yeah, so somebody we, we wrapped up. We are, again, we're here. We're here. I'm, like, dying. I'm sick. I'm, I'm sweaty. This is post-basketball <laughs> practice. Um, and so I'm, I'm... I'm on my fifth illness of the season. Woo! I'm still very to... much not sick. I'm just uh, tired and hungry. So once we're done with this, I'm going to stuffed my face but this was i'm so glad that we're back and being consistent um and i hope that you all enjoy um what's coming i know this episode is a little bit more um like socially like connected but i think it's important because a lot of these things go into a lot of the other things we're going to cover this season murders and zero i feel like we I think that the season so far from the cases that we discussed, they're going to have themes. Like, they're going to have themes, not just old-timey murders, but they're going to have themes about life. So <laughs> You've got a social worker and school counselor now running a podcast. And not only that, we're both parents now. And we're both, <laughs> like, you know, and so, right? like, while we're still going to have a good time, like, this is still going to be, you know, us commenting on what the world looks like and how the world has helped create you know, the situations where these things happen. So it's what we do. D, if people wanted to find you on the internet, where would they do that? Never find me. Don't find me. Okay. So I think I'm ready. Am I ready? Okay. Not ready. (laughs) So you could find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore D underscore Isa. That's I S A. Um, and where can they find you? Um, Instagram, Charnel B. Um, feel free to follow, comment i don't post a lot because i'm busy but dm me i'll talk a lot um it is valentine's day in like a week so if somebody's trying to you know buy me food when i say buy me food i'm talking like send me an uber gift card um don't don't try to spend time with me or take him out on don't a date time with me uh, <laughs> i don't want any of that that's ghetto again i've tried it we're giving you love. For I opened. I opened my life up in the past like six months to date, and again, I realized outside, mm, just a slight chance of. If you guys have friends in the New England area that you think would be awesome for Chanel, please send me their information. Like DM me on Instagram and send me pictures. We're starting. This. I mean, sure, do what you Thanks. want to do, but who has time? Um, <laughs> like I'll chat with anyone. Like I'll talk to people, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pursue anything. So don't waste your time. I want to go to his wedding, and he's playing games with me, especially because when I get my new body. It's First of be all, a like thing, again, so. weddings. Pew, no. pew. Unless I'm rich, I'm never getting. Married. <laughs> um, I literally started planning his wedding. I know. So. It should be it should be a fall wedding though. I that's my favorite time of year. Yes, I told you fall weddings, fall colors. Yeah. I got you. You're a burgundy guy. I got you. know me so well. So thank you so much for (laughs) listening. If you want to find the podcast on the internet, you can find us on Instagram at what did you do pod and Twitter. Yeah. At what did you do pod. 
um, at Facebook. What did you do? Please join our Facebook community group. Uh, what did you crew? I'm hoping to see a lot more. Like there's some motion in there again, and I'm hoping to see that pick up. Tell your friends about us. Pass it along to your coworkers. Um, I know it's getting to that weird time where no one's traveling, but hey, clean your house to us. I don't mind, you know, you getting yeah. almost passing out off the off the smell of bleach trying to get to the end of an episode. So while you're on that Teams meeting, just have us on your ear on your headset. It's teams, don't get started. Uh, <laughs> but thank you all so much for listening. It's an awesome to be back in real fashion. Uh, please stick with us. It's only going to go up from here. And, you know, keep your hands clean and whatever. It's the secrets that make us sick. So let's not keep so many. Let's not hold so much inside. Let's not. So y'all take care. Make good choices. Bye.